Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning. Good morning, my beloved church family. It kind of feels like we're all in exile together and apart in this crazy sort of way. And um, I wrote down just a little piece of Psalm 137 where it says, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? And it's because Jesus is with us no matter where we are, no matter how much in exile we find ourselves, whether we're in Hawaii like Jason or Long Beach or Lakewood like I am, even though it feels so foreign to be at home without looking at your faces, Jesus is with me and I can still sing songs. For sure, this Easter for many of us is like no other. Maybe it's the closest one to the actual morning that Mary just spoke about so beautifully that maybe we've ever encountered in our lifetime. And I, and I know we've been waiting. We've been waiting for what is to come, waiting for this morning, for the news again that Jesus is alive. We've been waiting with hope. Maybe we've been waiting with impatience. And here we are. It's today. It's Easter morning. It's Resurrection Day. And we're still in our homes, still in that place of exile. Some of us are alone. All of us are probably a bit stir crazy and maybe lonely for something or somebody, not to mention a little bit anxious or a lot anxious, maybe blue, maybe even depressed. And to top that off, Holy Week this week has been a rainy week. Gray skies, not blue the heavens seemingly crying with us as we find ourselves in this collective trauma called COVID-19 pandemic, the world, the world is in mourning. And still we call ourselves Christians. I've been wondering as I've been in lots of Zoom meetings, Facebook video chats, FaceTime sessions, how does that even matter in these times? I look at the news and I see and I hear non-Christians and Christians doing wonderful and kind things. I see non-Christians and Christian pastors defying government requests, trolls breaking into Zoom meetings, creating unbelievable evil. What makes me ecclesia? What makes me church? Am I called out even as I'm at home by myself? And then I have to remember the cross. Mary Dorset, she wrote such an amazingly beautiful letter to the parents this week. I wept when I read it. It encompassed so much, just like the story she just finished telling of what I already know, what I believe to be true as a follower of Jesus Christ. I know the why, I know the how. And I am so very, very grateful for it. Christ, God in flesh, incarnate, died for me, for you. I'm thinking that what I am wrestling with is not the why or the how. It's the now what. 
a few weeks ago, I was in the Zoom room of about 120 people. It was the last weekend of a certificate program I've been a part of. Um, and on that last morning, we spoke about death. And we spoke about ending well, joyfully even. Biblically, death entered the world in Genesis 3. But Jesus destroyed death when he rose, when he came out of the tomb. And in that Zoom meeting that morning, I was most captured with Mark 16, the ending that is written there. I was captured by the words fear, bewilderment, silence. And one thing we know, even though we want to push it aside or put it in a pocket or put it behind us, is that one day we all will die. And this pandemic kind of brings that so much closer. Daily, there's a body count. We see people around us ill, my own daughter. is just recovering from the virus and thank God she's recovering. But sometimes, even we Christians, we leave life before it actually ends. The gospels all give us models for ending. They give us models for the way Jesus ended. His ending always includes hope. It always includes resurrection. His death always includes life. Resurrection, a word that's been capturing me lately. One of the non-religious definitions is rising again as from decay, disuse, bringing something back to practice, to notice, to use, or to be vibrant again to rise from decay, restoring something, anything, restoring ourselves to life. And crazily, the kingdom has come to earth. And that deadness that I know I'm feeling, and maybe you are as well, that deadness, life is meant to come to that. We, each of us, were invited to the party. Jesus is alive. And so should we be, hallelujah. Mark was probably the first written account of the life of Jesus. He was a Jewish Christian. His mother was named Mary. He is probably writing to the Roman Christians. For him, the life of Jesus is only the beginning of the good news. He is all about the kingdom of God. He calls it the way. And that kingdom, as it manifests on earth, Jesus did not and does not travel alone, always with companions, companions that represent us all. Whether we fail him, betray him, or remain faithful, we still belong to him. The kingdom is already present, and it is a joint effort. We are the ones who bring it. I think I've said that before. We are the kingdom bringers. We participate today from our homes in the work of bringing the kingdom to earth. St. Augustine wrote this, we without God cannot, and God without us will not. We're really, really important. And as the gospels differ in their telling, the question isn't which one gives us the most accurate or the truest story about Easter or any other story, actually, the question really is, what does the story mean? 
And as we engage this story, this story of resurrection today, what does it mean? Mark is the shortest of the four gospels. And um, yeah, he gives us a promise that those of us who suffer in our journey will one day share in resurrection. I was really drawn to this account. And I want to read those eight verses in Mark again, the ones that JC already read. Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus's body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. You will see him there. The women fled, trembling, bewildered, silent. They said nothing to anyone. They were too frightened. What's most true about this story? What's the truth we're meant to take from it today? This is actually the original ending of Mark and you find in the oldest manuscripts. There are some other verses that they believe were added by scribes later that kind of connect Mark more to the other three gospels. But this is where the story ends from Mark's perspective. So women, women who are trembling, bewildered, frightened and silent are asked to take the news that Jesus is risen from the dead to the disciples, especially to Peter. I love that part also. And for me, the craziest part of it is that the angel says, you will see Jesus. But actually in this gospel, they never do. We have to read Matthew and Luke and John to change that ending and to let us know that they did indeed see Jesus again. And then like in that other story, you know, the one on the Emmaus road where they're walking along and they come upon this man, Jesus is journeying with us, whether we know it or not, whether we recognize him or not. Emmaus always happens. This is truth. This is what's important about this story. In the Gospel of John, Thomas doesn't believe that Christ is risen. But he is not condemned for his unbelief. He wants a firsthand experience. He asks for it. And what does Jesus do? He invites him to touch, touch my side, see, see that I am alive. Where are, where are we finding ourselves today? Who? Which one of us needs to see? Which one of us doesn't believe? Life's too distracting. It's too difficult. I don't believe right now. Could we ask? Could we invite Jesus to show us himself that he is the risen Lord? I think we can. In fact, I think 
We're meant to. I think that's part of who we are as the called out ones. We get to wrestle with those things that we believe in. And we cry out with so many people in history, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Show me, oh God, help me, allow allow me to experience you. And what would Jesus be inviting us to do? There are two themes that run through the Gospels. The first one is that Jesus lives. His followers continue to experience him. We continue to experience him in radical new ways. He abides with us. Because Mark's promise, you will see him, is for you and for me. And I'm so glad of that because I need to see Jesus. He lives and he is not found among the dead. He is among the living. He's among each and every one of us. I saw him in Mary's eyes when she told the story. The Holy Spirit, his presence, it continues. I hear him in Jason's voice. In the, way, in the ways that people put systems together, Jesus is revealed. It's wild and it's crazy and it's supernatural and it's true. But the second thing is that Jesus is Lord. And if he is Lord, then the lords of this world are not. Our president is not Lord. Our governors, our mayors, our doctors, our lawyers, COVID-19 viruses are not Lord. Resurrection, Easter, has proclaimed and continues to affirm that the domination systems of this world are not of God, and they do not have the final word. Easter reverses Good Friday. Death cannot hold him. Death cannot hold us. God says no to all the powers that killed Jesus. Powers that are still very active in our world today. And as the called out ones, we also get to say no. Easter means that to be alive is to follow Jesus as the servant king. Our small selves, our ego, our accomplishments, our successes, our achievements, They're meant to be transformed as we die to the old ways of being and really allow resurrection. Who is Barbara? Is she smart? Maybe. But most of all, she's this beloved child of a very good God, a God that is alive. And so this is the way that we bring the kingdom as children in humility, with service, preferring others more highly than we prefer ourselves. If we are in Christ, then we are a new creation. I have a picture of a tomb, and actually Andrew is going to put it up right now. I hope you guys are seeing it because I am not. This tomb is kind of weird because it has the hugest stone that rolls in front of it. But what's really weird about the picture is that notice that the the round stone has some sort of a rail, some sort of a track. So it looks like this one might be a little bit easier to move. I bet that the original tomb had just a rough, huge stone rolled in front of the opening. And I see this stone as a metaphor 
I see it as the heavy thing, that big thing that keeps us from blessing what has died in us, in our relationships, and maybe from looking at our own emptiness. As a woman, I love that the women who were the, were the first ones to know that death had been defeated, actually empire had been defeated, and that the kingdom of heaven was being ushered in on the cool breeze of that morning when there was no one in the tomb except the heavenly messenger clothed in white. I really want to talk about how they were feeling. And this is for the men too, <laughs> because I'm feeling a lot these days, like the way those women felt. Life, the life I have known seems to have died. It's certainly been disrupted. It's scary. And a lot of the times I'm confused and I stay silent about it so much of the time. I stay silent about my own fears, about how I feel, because I don't want to upset my family, my friends, my church family. But I'm confessing now, I just have times where I feel depressed and scared. And I wonder, and I don't know where to begin to look for the body. Where am I going to find Jesus? At least if I could find the body like the women, I could bring spices and anoint what smells bad, but I don't know where to find the body. And as a person, a woman of faith, I wonder, I wonder how this life that has seemingly died will look when it is resurrected because it will be, because there is no body. There is only a living Jesus Christ who is Lord. How different will life be? I don't know. Will I recognize it? I don't know. Will I live long enough to even wonder about the fact that life has changed again? Is it possible for me, for you, for us? to allow things to die and to end with joy. For me, that begs this question, how do I do this well? Some of you know that my husband, John, has multiple sclerosis. He's had it for over 10 years now, and he is doing really, really well. But few of you know that his original diagnosis was that he had brain cancer and that there were six tumors in his brain and he probably did not have even six months of life left when um, our, our doctor, John Mullane and his wife made a special point of coming to our house to tell us that he was not going to make it because that was the diagnosis that came from the MRI. All of a sudden life just changed. And everything felt so weird and crazy and different. And we, we walked out of our home having just heard this news. We had appointments for radiation treatments. We were going to the pharmacy to pick up a prescription that was a steroid that was gonna try to decrease some swelling that they saw in his brain. We were bewildered. We were afraid. 
we were silent. We looked at each other. I remember, I can still remember standing in the pharmacy of that pavilions on Spring Street waiting for that prescription. We didn't know what to say to each other, to our children, our friends, our church. All we knew is that we were told that John was going to die. But even dying is an act of living. It's an act of life. And I want to restate something that I said earlier. Sometimes, even we Christians, we leave life before it ends. We check out when we're still meant to live fully alive in the knowledge that this Jesus that we love is right alive with us. So where, where are you finding yourself? What have you given up on ever being resurrected? Maybe it's your Levi's because you're in sweatpants. <laughs> are you dead or are you alive? What's that stone? What's that metaphorical thing that just seems too heavy to move out of the way? That stone, that heaviness that keeps you from living life to the fullness. And let us not at the same time be unkind to our own fear our own confusion, our doubts, our silence, our unbelief. Instead, may all those things, all those feelings given to us by a good God cause us to say, help us, O oh Lord, help us. Help us to return to the land of the living where we find your goodness. Jesus is Lord. A risen Lord and our call, our call is to rise with him and live well, no matter what our circumstances, in freedom, in compassion, in love and courage, which does not mean we're not afraid. Jesus is Lord. The powers of this world are not. So it seems only fitting that we would take communion together at this time. There's something about making a mark, taking the time to mark today, an Easter such as none of us has ever known. An Easter at home for most of us, devoid of the church gatherings as we knew them, no extended family and friends, no feast prepared, but we break bread and we drink wine together and we ingest, we take in this communion. We step into and submit ourselves to the fact that the world we live in is a broken one, and it always has been. And we bless our lives and ask that our bodies could recognize and mark this Easter morning. And we participate together in the knowledge that the risen Christ is present with each of us and with all of us, and that over it all, Jesus is Lord. And I'm going to invite you right now to, to take out, you know, whatever you're having for communion, whether it's cereal or as I, as I said earlier, I'm becoming a day drinker today. Um, I've got some bread and I've got some wine. My husband and I are um, both going to be partaking of communion together. And I'm just going to read this over you. It's also from Mark. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. 
Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, take it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So let's, let's partake together. And in so many ways, we find ourselves still waiting. How do we find ourselves as we wait? What needs to be resurrected in us, through us? As we wait with joy and hope and fear and trembling, resurrection trumps and triumphs death and destruction. Resurrection trumps viruses because of it, because of resurrection. The whole world, me, you, all of us together, we are changed. Jesus is Lord. We hope this teaching has encouraged and challenged you. We always have more resources available at our website, lbcf.org. And wherever you are and wherever you're listening, we pray you be filled with grace to learn to live in love like Jesus.